you don't always get everything you want in a deal. If you go into saying looking for 10 things you specifically want, and this really falls back into the first lesson, which is decide what you want. If you have 10 things you need from a deal, the buyer probably has 10 things they need. You have to meet in the middle and find things that you care most about and they care most about and where you can align them. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Today I'm going to be talking about lessons from over 1,200 exits we've completed over the years. Um, we're an M&A firm that specializes in, in tech acquisitions. So the first thing for everyone in the room, I think a lot of people have heard doomsday news about funding, whether it comes to acquisitions or VC over the last 12, 24 months. The, the reality for everyone in the room is there's always a market to acquire good businesses. So if you're, if you're focused on building a business day to day and you're building a good business, there's always someone that wants to buy it. Where capital has dried up a little bit is if you have a business that's not doing particularly well. Those are businesses which sell well in a, in a bad market, but do, do not sell when the market is, is slow. So just to give a little bit of context, 2022 was still a record year for tech M&A. We saw more deals happen than in any other year in our history. We've been in the industry since 2010. So we've been through a full market cycle, a lot of growth in the SaaS industry in that time. There's currently in our network of acquirers, we speak to new acquirers every single day. Um, we surveyed them recently. There's around $41 billion of liquid capital right now to buy businesses. So for any one of you in the room, or for all of you in the room, or pretty much everyone at this conference, you could all sell your business tomorrow and there'll still be cash out there to acquire businesses. That's not going anywhere. People are still raising capital, deploying capital. So if we look at, um, again, talking about kind of doomsday, people talking about private equity has slowed down. There's kind of less activity happening. The reality is, that is true to an extent if you just look at the year-on-year -year data of capital out there to be deployed, so dry powder in the private equity industry. So if you look at the chart, maybe a little bit difficult to read, but you can see there's nearly, nearly $4 trillion of capital available in the industry around 2020. That's now reduced to around $3.5 trillion. There's still a vast amount of capital. Again, every single person in this room could sell their business many times over and there'll still be capital available. That, that hasn't changed. So while there has been a small decline, if you go back 10, 15 years, there's still drastically more capital than there ever was before. If we just look at some of our data, so as an M&A firm, we obviously track all the deals we do. We track what our competitors are doing. Um, we primarily focus on SaaS companies which are profitable. A lot of the demand has dried up for SaaS businesses which are not profitable. So if you look at Wall Street data, so if you read the press, you read things like TechCrunch, read what they're all saying, Wall Street was down 
38% year on year in terms of uh, enterprise deal value completed. So if you add up the value of all deals completed, Wall Street was down 38%. If you add up all of our deals, which are primarily profitable, good SaaS businesses, which hopefully most of you are building, we had an increase of 51%. So the market is still good. People are still buying good businesses. Um, what I want to do today is, other than giving you a little bit of high-level information, I'm actually going to go behind the scenes on a deal we completed uh, about six months ago where we represented the, the founder, and the team are actually based in Austin, so I thought it'd be nice and topical. So the deal we sold was Thrivecart. It was around a $35 million um, deal, and I've been coming to SaaS stock since, I think, day one. For many of you that know uh, Alex, he ran it as a, a meetup in London with 10 people and a box of pizza, and then it's grown into, uh, I guess, this amazing infrastructure of SaaS founders, investors, and everyone else in the space. Um, so Thrivecart, $35 million deal. I'd say for the average person at SaaS stock, it's about what we see that most of you are building a, a business to around that level. Many have bigger businesses, some have smaller, but I think 35 million is a good, good average. The first thing people always want to know when they hear about uh, the valuation is like, what did the, the revenue look like? So usually can't disclose this information, but I got a little bit of uh, like permission from the parties involved. They were happy to disclose some high level. So $35 million deal. In 2022, the business did approximately $5 million in revenue. Um, I don't have time to explain the business in a huge amount of detail, but that was not all recurring revenue. So ultimately, like a very strong multiple, lots of interest from a variety of acquirers. Um, business strong, growing. Like This is a chart that basically all of you will hopefully have and be building towards. Also, I mentioned profitable. If you're building a profitable business, that's definitely important. Uh, this is some high-level numbers behind the scenes. They did about 1.75 million in profit in 2022. Um, so they're running about like a 30, 35% net margin, which is again very strong, but still investing in growth, continuously growing. So many of you, when you're thinking about like building a business and, and exiting, I think the first thing you all need to think about before you start running any sort of sales process or thinking about what an exit might be is deciding what you want to achieve. We've worked with 1,200 founders who have successfully exited, and this is universal for all of them. So every single time, this is a lesson from every single person, and what, you sh what you're trying to achieve is different for everybody. There's no right or wrong answer you can't ask anybody the answer to this question. You ha it has to come from you personally. If you have business partners, maybe you need to speak to business partners. If you're married, maybe you need to speak to your husband or wife. If you have investors, maybe you need to be aligned with your investors. But ultimately, it's a personal decision, and there's no right or wrong answer. But the answer will determine what you do to run your business and the decisions you make. If you're trying to build a billion-dollar business, or you're trying to build a $10 million business, you, put, you need to be doing completely different things in the billion dollar business than you do in the 10. There's nothing wrong with either of those routes. You don't necessarily have to pick, pick one and that, that's right or that's wrong. You also don't need to necessarily stick to your plan. There's no reason why you can't say, I'm going to build a $10 million business, get there and then 
decide you want to get to 100. And there's no reason you can't say, I'm trying to build a $10 million business, get to five and decide now is the time to sell. There's no right or wrong answer to that. But you need to decide it for yourself. You shouldn't just arbitrarily say, I want to sell my business one day, or ultimately you're probably not going to be successful. So in the case of Josh, who is the founder of Thrivecart, some things that matter to him. And again, I could do this slide for 1,200 people we've worked with, and the four bullet points will be different every time, but there are sometimes some commonalities. Um, so in his case, he wanted to spend more time with his family. Um, in this case, mostly his, his wife. He'd been working hard, basically, since he graduated uh, college. Wanted to spend more time with his family. This one feels a bit arbitrary, but he wanted to build generational wealth and financial freedom for his family. So in his case, the number was 35 million. For some of you, that number might be 10. For some of you, that number might be five. For some of you, that number might be 500 million. There's no right or wrong answer. For him, that was his number. He had thought about selling over the years. And I'm assuming every single one of you in this room, if you're building a successful business, has been approached by a potential buyer. Probably multiple times. You might even get those emails multiple times per day. Josh was no different. He was constantly getting inbound interest. And he just decided when he hit his number, that was time to sell and move on. He had been, been approached many times. Um, he didn't want to run a process himself, so he, he came to us. M many people will have conversations um, themselves with acquirers. That's absolutely fine. Um, but if we move on to kind of next lesson, again, this is from 1,200 acquisitions. But in the case of Josh, I think it was a really good example because of the amount of inbound he had had. So lesson two, 1,200 transactions, and this is true of every single deal, is, is get leverage. And this is the same for any negotiation. So this is a generic stock photo I found, and this is probably an example of the kind of person emailing you every single day saying they want to buy your business. They have $10 million, $100 million, billion dollars, whatever that might be. All of you are getting these emails. I have no idea who this, this guy is. Um, but all of you will be getting this all the time. What a lot of people do is they'll get tempted to have sell to the first person that comes along wearing a nice suit and tie and say, OK, these guys have 50 million, 100 million. I want to sell my business for 35. Let's sell to the first offer that comes along. Maybe I'm going to save a bit of money. I don't want to pay M&A fees. I can just do a deal myself. Then I can go speak at conferences and events and tell everyone about how I sold my business solo. But in almost every single case, every deal we work on, having multiple offers on the table is important. Don't waste your essentially entire life work building a business and then sell it to the first person that, that comes along. You wouldn't do that if you're looking for new vendors or new SaaS products to use or even like new employees. You, you don't hire the first person you interview or you, you generally don't anyway. You don't sign up to the first SaaS product you hear of. You, you don't really do that for anything in your life. You don't buy the first house you look at if you're looking to buy a house. You shouldn't sell to the first buyer that comes along either. I think one thing, and the next lesson is a lot of people think they're always just going to sell to the highest offer that will come in. So across 1,200 deals, generally, the highest offer is the offer that sellers will go with. But you also have to like who you are working with. 
you're not just dealing with a faceless private equity firm. If you sell to a private equity firm, if you sell to a public company, you're not just selling to the public company. You are probably selling because you like the person you are dealing with and, and, and working with. Particularly in a, if you have a good business and you work with an M&A firm, you're going to get lots of offers. We generally see anywhere from kind of 8 to 15 qualified offers on any deal we're representing. And that means there's going to be a lot of people you have to speak to. And ultimately, it doesn't always come down to the highest bid. Sometimes it comes down to what you think the, the best fit is. And even though a lot of people have the misconception that you just sell to the highest number, ultimately, you're dealing with, with, with people. And the best acquirers know that, and they will build a relationship with you based on their people, your people, if you have a, a board, or maybe they're just speaking to you. So in this case, this is not a stock photo. This is Kevin, who's actually here today. Kevin is the um, new CEO of Thrivecart. Um, Kevin built a good relationship with uh, Josh, the acquirer. They got on. Kevin had a great vision of what to do with the business, which a lot of founders want as part of their, let's call it, legacy. Even if you're getting out of the business, you want to sell to someone who you know can grow the business and do a great job. And from what I understand from Kevin speaking to him just before talk, the business has been doing really well post-acquisition. Josh is still part of it. He has a full-time job as part of the team. Um, he has some upside in, in future. So he wasn't 100% out on day one. He's still benefiting from the upside and the growth. Um, but ultimately, that deal happened because Josh liked Kevin, not because Kevin had the most money or Kevin's fund had the most money um, or it was necessarily the highest bid or anything like that. Fourth lesson, and this is something I've learned, like 1,200 transactions is a lot of negotiating. Every single deal involves tough negotiations. We speak into lots of different people. There are tons and tons of books you can read on negotiation. We find a lot of people who've like, read books, learned at school how to negotiate, but the reality is you don't really learn how to negotiate until you've done it a lot of times. I think there's some like, negotiation theory out there I don't really um, agree with. So I think there's a popular book called Never Split the Difference, for example. That's not actually my personal philosophy when it comes to M&A. There's no... You don't always get everything you want in a, in a deal. If you go into something looking for 10 things you specifically want, and this really falls back into the first lesson, which is decide what you want. If you have 10, thing, 10 things you need from a, a deal, the buyer probably has 10 things they need. You have to meet in the middle and find things that you care most about and they care most about and where you can align them. So if we just put it in really simple terms, just in like a, a Venn diagram, you've got what the seller wants on one side, what the buyer wants elsewhere, like the bit in the middle is what you need to find. So it might be the amount of cash you get in the deal. It might be what your ongoing involvement is as the founder. So in the case of Josh, for example, when he started the process with us, he said he wanted no involvement in the business post-sale at all. He wanted as much cash as possible, and then he wanted out. What ended up happening is he liked Kevin, liked Kevin's team, liked the vision, and decided he wanted to like, stay as part of the team. So sometimes you need to be a little bit flexible. And in that case, that was something he was willing to negotiate on. But ultimately, the valuation, what he wanted to walk away with, was not saying he was going to compromise on. And he, di he didn't have to. So 
go into it with a relative open mind, but be very clear, particularly if you're working with an M&A firm like us, the worst thing is moving the goalposts and changing your mind on what you want midway through the process. We need to know what's most important to you. And if you're trying to sell a business yourself or any negotiation, you need to know what's most important to you. Don't just go in and say, well, these are my 10 things. It's non-negotiable. If you don't meet all of these 10 things, there's no deal. Because while that will work sometimes, if you want to go into a process and have a high degree of certainty of a deal happening, you have to be willing to meet somewhere in the middle. So we've got a, a couple of pages, oh, sorry, a couple of minutes left. So if you're just going to take five things away from this, this talk, know what you want to achieve. And every single one of you should have a different answer to that. There's no right or wrong answer. No one can tell you what like, the correct number is. There isn't a correct number. Depends where you live. Depends how old you are. Depends what your lifestyle is like. Some of it depends like how good your business is as well. I, I know personally in my business, m my number has changed as the business has grown. Years ago, I didn't realize it could get as big as it has, and then the goalposts move again. That's fine, but you have to be honest with yourself as you go along. And that's the same in the other direction as well. If your business isn't growing, there's no shame in selling it, moving on, banking some cash, and going to launch a new business. People ultimately buy from people. I think everyone at this conference understands that because you, no one has like, their company name on their badge like front and center. Everyone has their own name. So it doesn't matter if you're CEO of a billion dollar company or you're just starting out, everyone is the same, everyone's in the same room. People ultimately do deals with people and that's not something that ever changes and I don't think ever will, particularly when it comes to selling a business. You might be dealing with a big name private equity firm or public company, um, but ultimately it's the person you're speaking to that you'll do the deal with. Get leverage in a transaction um, is important. Don't just sell to the first person that comes along. Almost never is the first offer you get the best offer, and that goes for any negotiation, but particularly when it comes to selling a business, particularly if you're talking about $35 million, don't, don't sell to the first person that comes along, or you could walk away with 20, which is still obviously a fantastic result, but I think objectively, 35 is always better than 20 in that case. Be willing to meet in the middle. Again, there's no... I think negotiations are very difficult if people are extremely stubborn on everything they need and they won't compromise on anything. Have an open mind, particularly when it comes to an exit. So in the case of Josh, like I said, he chose to get a job with the acquirer. He's quite happy there. He's now doing the things he loves and he's doing, not doing the things he doesn't love, which was things like HR, operations, finance. He doesn't have to do that, any of that anymore. Know what your business is worth from, from day one. If you're trying to achieve a $35 million exit and your business is worth $3.5 million, you're probably wasting your time unless you have a very clear goal of how you get to that level. And if you're very honest with yourself where you're at right now. So I don't have anything else. I'm pretty much out of time. Um, on this slide, if you scan the QR code, uh, we offer free valuations to anyone thinking about selling a business. Now or in the future, there's no obligation. Josh, for example, we first spoke to about five years ago before he decided to run a process. It would make my job a lot easier if this did happen, but it's very, very rare for anyone to scan the QR code, get a valuation, and in three days' time sign an engagement agreement. We're here for long-term relationships. Like I said, people do business with people. So thanks so much for your time.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaSDoc conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.